0: So we're talking about Ted Lasso, season one, episode five, Tan Lines today. And I know we have a lot to talk about. Did we want to jump right in?
1: Um, Well, I know you like to do a little intro banter before we do the episode recap. I'm fine with doing that if you want to do that. Oklahoma. No, let's get right to the summary.
0: (laughs) All right. All right. You go ahead then.
1: Ted Lasso, season one, episode five, Tan Lines, opens with a hopeful yet yearning song from Dusty Springfield, wishing and hoping and thinking and praying. This sets the mood for the rest of the episode, both Ted's hopes and wishes for his marriage as well as the team's own hopes not to be relegated.
0: It it really is striking how often it seems like the opening music for these shows are very carefully selected. They're not random. They're really designed to either set the immediate mood or to give a sense of what the episode will be about.
1: Ted, distracted by his phone and by Higgins, slams his head on a not fully raised barrier. We next see him, ice pack applied to Forehead, telling Rebecca about his marital issues. Rebecca continues to resist his attempts at intimacy. We then see her reminding Higgins that they are planning to do poorly, implicitly advancing her plan to sink the team to gain vengeance on her ex husband, Rupert. Healy discovers Jamie with a woman in his home and says she feels good about the decision to dump him. Ted's family arrives from America. They go to the pub where, after Ted hears harsh words from the patrons, he and his wife, Michelle, engage in pleasant, if seemingly strained, banter. Roy later sees Keely conversing with Jamie, and when Roy offers an unsolicited opinion, Keely scolds him. Next, we see Ted playing Legos with Michelle and their son, with Sam Cooke's Bring It On Home to Me playing over the scene.
0: Since we all live in the Marvel Universe now, it should be noted this song is the song that Star-Lord and Gamora dance to in Guardians of the Galaxy. As part of his pitch to her that she should dance with him, he tells her That This features Sam Cooke, one of Earth's all-time great singers, he says.
1: And that's a touching scene, for Marvel anyway.
0: It's romantic, and yet Darlene and Gamora are not the most placid couple.
1: (laughs) Definitely not. Immediately after the Lego scene, Ted finds Michelle crying. She tells him that she will keep trying to feel like she used to. Back in the clubhouse, Ted consults with Nate and Coach Beard about his marital troubles. Neither have much to offer. Higgins, however, tells him that hard times aren't as hard with the right person. Later, during the match, Jamie scores two goals, but after displaying selfish behavior, chanting me, me, me after scoring, and even stepping over rather than helping a fallen Sam, Ted replaces him with another player. In the sad locker room at the half, Ted delivers a speech about the need for change. One which clearly reflects his wishes for the team, as well as a realization that the same is needed in his marriage. With Sam moved to midfield.
0: And this seems to be a small emblem of the change that Ted has portended.
1: The team scores the winning goal. Later, we see Ted saying goodbye to Michelle. He's not giving up, she tells him. He's letting her go.
0: One thing I want to bring up before we dive deep into new topics is the growth of Roy. And I think we see some of the payoff from what Roy called the manipulation of the last episode. It seems like the domino has fallen in Roy's heart. We see his support and advice for a fallen Sam. He does tell everyone to sit down and listen to Ted at halftime. As Ted tells his stories of adolescence, we actually see Roy Cook smiling very broadly, not rightfully, very broadly.
1: I think this is the first halftime locker room speech that we see in Ted Lasso. The inspiring locker room halftime speech is definitely a trope in sports-related filmed entertainment. And this is an important moment. Are they going to listen to him? Are they going to be moved? Is this going to be a speech that connects with people? And the fact that Roy is trying to help Ted really shows how far that relationship has moved.
0: As you note, it is episode five. It's right in the middle. And Ted takes two major actions in this episode, related actions in some ways. One is he benches Jamie. And two, he basically agrees to end his marriage. So right here at the middle of the first season, we see a lot of the themes that were percolating in the first four episodes play out into two major decisions. It really makes you wonder will he be successful as a coach and you know what's his personal life going to look like how is he going to handle his family situation and his son and his own love life going forward
1: in terms of tv well, obviously they've opened themselves up with a now single ted to to all kinds of new plot lines but yes ted clearly is really struggling as anyone would with this moment in his life and That halftime speech, you mentioned that it was about adolescence. It's a very Ted kind of speech. He reflects on what it was like going through puberty and how he saw a teacher differently, the way a child would have seen a teacher. And then suddenly he's seeing the teacher as being attractive and really feeling that in some way. And, And this sort of metaphor, again, very Ted. It's very personal. It's a way of talking about himself, but he's also trying to relate it to the people who are listening to him in terms of change. Nobody likes change, particularly anyway. It it can be unsettling, but adolescence and puberty are an important time. You leave behind something, you, you have to give something up, but you get something in return. You get this new way of being in the world and this new expanded life. I think it's a pretty good metaphor. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it is. And you'll notice that the final point of growth for Roy or Roy's change of heart regarding Ted is at the very end, after they win the game, he tells Ted that Ted has balls, as he says, uh, very bluntly. Not only is praise for uh, Ted's courage, but seems to continue this kind of adolescent theme. So Roy's not only supporting Ted, he's picking up on his idea leadership, if you will.
1: That's really interesting because I think we do think about personal development, this kind of learning, getting to be better at all this interpersonal stuff. We do talk about this as being growth. That's an interesting metaphor for talking about it, right? It implies that there is sort of a maturation or a development that is similar to what we go through over the course of our lives. To say that you're getting balls through that process is maybe a little crude, but I think it connects to what we're meant to understand about learning.
0: I think another important thing here is family and work, obviously, and this whole episode is family and work. Ted tells us the reason he hits his head on the barriers, he's distracted by tracking his family on his phone as they make their way to London. If that's what my call the underlying cause, the more approximate cause is that Higgins, who's really the only person now that we see interacting with his family members on a regular basis with his family. uh, And he calls out to Ted. It's sort of like they're all calling out to Ted. And this is exactly just a great little compendium of what's going on in this whole episode where Ted is distracted. He's torn between family and work. And, And this continues, right? He's holding a practice and his son calls to him. He literally cancels practice and runs to his family. He has to run across this field. And Coach Beard very helpfully says metaphor. And then finally, of course, in his speech, where he says we're broken and we have to change. It's very clear. He's talking both about the team and about his marriage.
1: Ted is juggling family and work. And don't we all? I I think the way we feel about our family and home life, it's not like we leave that at home when we go to work. It's always there. We're human. All that stuff is part of us. I think all of us have been in a moment where we react in a certain way to a situation at work and realize that what it's really about is about something else, something we've brought from our family life.
0: So I know you have a lot to talk about. Where do you want to jump in here?
1: The first theme that I really want to call out from this episode is what I'm calling transparency. Transparency is the concept of how direct you are how accurate you are in representing what you believe on the inside and sharing that with the people that you work with. Generally speaking, transparency is a good thing, though it can be taken too far. We jokingly use the word Oklahoma to start this episode. This feels like actually pretty good strategy that Ted's couples therapist has given to Ted and Michelle. It's a code word that they can use when they want the other person to be fully honest.
0: This seems to play a little bit into the feedback we talked about last time, right? This is the recognition or acceptance that you're willing to listen to feedback at that moment.
1: Yes. The flip side of transparency is curiosity. So if somebody is going to be fully direct, the other quality that seems to go with that is an interest in what the other person has to say. I think gathering yourself together and making the decision to give somebody feedback requires you to take a leap in the direction of transparency. Transparency can be valuable in the work setting because it's fundamental for collaboration and team performance. It is really hard to collaborate effectively with someone when they aren't sharing complete data about what they value, what they want, what they think. The kicker is that transparency doesn't just happen. It's a choice that people make. And frankly, a lot of things make it hard to be transparent in the workplace. We see many of these things in this episode. First of all, people aren't transparent when they self-edit and talk nice out of social politeness. In that first scene where Ted is talking with Rebecca and he says to her, you're definitely enjoying getting to know me better. And she says, yes. And then Ted says, Oklahoma. And she says, nope, not enjoying it. It's social politeness that makes her say yes first, but when prompted, she transparently will admit she's actually not really that into this part of getting to know Ted. Another example, the fan in the pub insults Ted the way the fans in the pub typically insult Ted. And then when Michelle walks in right behind him, the fan turns on a dime and says, absolute pleasure to meet you.
0: This seems somewhat British to me as well.
1: Oh, yes. I think the British are known for their social politeness, being a bit of a mask for what they really think. I think this scene dramatizes that pretty nicely. Another thing that gets in the way of transparency, we worry about how others are going to react if we share what we really think. They might reject it or get angry. One good example of this potential reaction that you can get when you're transparent is how Keeley gets annoyed with Roy when he shares with her what he thinks of Jamie and by implication what she should be doing or not doing with Jamie. She interprets this as controlling, not really his place, an attempt to really guide her through life that she doesn't really enjoy. And then another way in which transparency can be really difficult is all of us are understandably a bit wary about sharing what we think what we feel, what we value across levels in an organization. Frankly, despite the fact that Ted tries to be so inclusive, there is a power differential between him and Nate and Coach Beard and Higgins. So in that scene where Ted opens up to Nate and Coach Beard and Higgins about what's going on with him and Michelle, this is crossing a line that many of us might not cross or might not even want our boss to cross. How much do you want to know about your boss's marriage problems?
0: Yeah, it's funny because the fact that Rebecca isn't thrilled about talking about all these things may in fact represent where a lot of us sit. It's meant to suggest that she's closed off, that she's frankly British, but the line that Ted is crossing here and talking to his subordinates about his marriage is one that I think We generally wouldn't really recognize outside of a comedy like this. We're going to have these moments where people cross lines because it's not reality.
1: Fair point. A certain amount of personal sharing across levels in an organization is probably desirable. And the challenge is finding that line. Here's a leadership theme we haven't talked about a lot yet. One of the things that this episode starts to focus on in a a more direct way is the extent to which Ted is a change leader or sees his mission as bringing change to FC Richmond. Change is a topic that has been written about a lot. There's one particular book that I think is a really interesting one, Immunity to Change by Robert Keegan. And that title really tells you a story about change. We may say we want change, we may desire change, But all of us will resist it in ways that are almost like an immune system if the change isn't gone about in the right way. So what is it that you really need to do if you're going to bring change to an organization and you're the leader? I do feel like as a leader, you really need to lean in to this to inspire the change. You have to make the case for why things need to change. And then you need to model it. You need to show the new behavior that you want. Because frankly, if the leader doesn't do it, nobody else will. You have to lead the way here. I think that's what Ted is doing fundamentally. He's setting the stage for change in that halftime locker room speech. He tells the team, we're broken and we need to embrace this change. He creates the reason why change is necessary. And then he himself is willing to put something very important on the line that could hurt him and hurt others. This is the decision to bench Jamie right before halftime. The star player is really part of the immune system here to the change he's trying to create. And Jamie needs to be dealt with. Yes, he does. So this brings me to a leadership challenge. How do you deal with a high performer on your team who's also really toxic? It's not uncommon that one person on a team will Get fantastic results, be the top salesperson, have a lot of subject matter expertise, and be a strong performer on every metric. But at the same time, this person could have a style that's abrasive. And that abrasive style may even be affecting morale on the team. So there's really a question for a leader, which is how are you going to handle that? What are you going to do when somebody is performing really well, but there's something about their style, which sort of feels like a secondary concern you feel like you want to address.
0: There actually is a book here too. A Stanford professor, Robert Sutton, wrote a book that I'm going to call euphemistically the no jerk rule, building a civilized workplace and surviving one that isn't. And this notion of a no jerk rule is one that I've heard repeated by people throughout all sorts of contexts, that they love to work at a company that had a no jerk rule.
1: I think that's a great example of how people have attempted to tackle this issue. It's not an easy one, right? I think if people feel like they can behave this way, there must be some reason, there must be something in the culture that's backing them up, making them feel like they can behave this way.
0: I think we've all worked in cultures where certain people, uh, despite having a personality that seems aggressive or demeaning, other people seem to still flourish, at least in terms of their acceleration through the organization.
1: Completely. But I think we all can agree that when the leader ignores that behavior, there are consequences because it sends a message to the team about what's valued and what's tolerated and I think it diminishes the leader when they ignore this kind of behavior because it makes them feel less reliable and less trustworthy because what they say they want starts to feel inconsistent with how they're actually behaving.
0: We've all worked on teams with a Jamie before, and we've all benefited from Jamie's ability to score goals or produce sales results. And we've all felt the costs as well. And I do think it's a real trade-off, right? I do think that you could easily turn the other way and start insisting that people either be charming or be very agreeable, very high in the social skills or have sort of a milk toast personality. Teams that don't have a little impetus, don't have a little bit of charge in them, don't have people who do push, who are a little aggressive, can also suffer. I think it's a two-sided coin. When you think about the people who stand up after um, a win and point at their own chest and say, me, 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 and I think we've all been there, that's where it gets toxic, right? When not only do they help you win, but they don't credit the team with the win at the end. I think it's really painful.
1: I think that's exactly right. The toxic high performer, I think they just feel like they're being honest and transparent, maybe even. Clearly, you don't want a team culture where people feel like they can't say what's really on their mind. However, there is a breaking point. And I think you're right. The breaking point comes for Ted and Jamie with this particular match. In the club room before the match, Ted and Jamie have a conversation. And Jamie essentially says to Ted, I'm not going to listen to you anymore because I score all the goals. I think once he has said this to Ted, at this point, Ted knows what he's got to do. There is no way to work with somebody who says, I don't recognize your authority to lead me anymore because my performance means that I don't have to.
0: This is the first time we see actual anger from Ted. He's mad. Now, he readily admits that his home life situation is playing into that anger. It's setting the stage for his lack of patience with Jamie. But he's mad and you can see why.
1: You raise a good point. If Ted wasn't in this kind of inner turmoil from what was going on outside his work situation, it's possibly he would have been con- too controlled to make this decision to bench Jamie, but for whatever reason he does. And here's the interesting part. When he benches Jamie, the team wins. I, I think there's sort of a point here, right? Which is There's something about having a star on your team that affects other people's performance in really unpredictable ways. A team is a system, and systems are complicated. If you remove a piece from a system, the whole system functions differently. And what I think happens here is the star is out, and other people on the team have stepped up and played differently. When a good player is removed... You don't necessarily always get a worse team.
0: I guess the question is, what's going to happen now that Jamie has been benched, that in some ways Sam has been promoted? Where's it going to go? Is this going to be successful?
1: It doesn't feel like they can escape relegation without Jamie. But in terms of leadership and learning, Ted did the right thing.
0: You heard it here. The crowd still chants wanker. But as Coach Beard says, same word, different meaning.
1: Yeah. If it's possible to call someone a wanker in an affectionate way, it's possible that it is happening.
0: That's season one, episode five of Ted Lasso, Tan Lines. Coming up next season one, episode six, two aces, we meet the other ace, Danny Rojas.
1: And we learn that football is life.